right, welcome back to School of Science Radio. I'm Gino Ganello. Uh, this week, joined by Calvin once again. Um, and unfortunately, we have a lot to talk about. And unfortunately, not much of it is, is good stuff. Um, but first, before we get into any of it, Calvin, how are you doing today? <laughs> very frustrated, Gino. Very frustrated. That was a very disappointing loss last weekend. So... <laughs> Yeah, for sure, for sure, and uh, thankfully it's Saturday when we're recording, and no Everton games today, so we can enjoy some of the <laughs> Premier League action without having to watch any of that, but we do have to today go back and talk about the Watford loss. Um, Everton lose to Watford 5-2, Josh King naturally scores a hat trick on his first appearance <laughs> back in Everton, uh, back at Goodison Park since he was here and played like 12 minutes for us. Um, Richarlison returns and scores. Uh, the Toffees give up four goals in the last 13 minutes. Watford win for what I believe is the first time ever at Goodison, or at least first time in the Premier League era at Goodison. Um, Correct. I mean, there's a lot to talk about here. I guess we'll start off with the good stuff because that's how the game started off. Um, yeah. The first half, things look great for the first 10 minutes. Davies gets on the score sheet three minutes in. Yeah. Everton looked like they're providing pressure. I think Gordon had a chance as well. What did Everton do right? And this is a short period of time, but what did they do right over yeah. the first 10 minutes of this match? You know, for the first 10 minutes, Everton looked like they have pretty much all season, right? So, uh, you know, with Davis being mobile and getting involved both in the attacking and defending phases of the game, you know, you couldn't tell that Do Correa was out. And so, you know, I think Everton looked comfortable, right? Um, in, in fact, I think Davies's goal was, I, I would expect Do Correa to score exactly that kind of goal, right? Making that late run into the box, lovely cross in, you know, from, from the left. So, yeah, everything was going great. It was looking like, yep, normal service continues. Uh, Do Correa is out for a few games. We should be okay. Um, and especially against the team that's in the lower half of the table, this was going to be, I think everything was going to plan, if you will, right? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think, you know, when you look at the first 10 minutes, it's basically whatever Patin had been doing uh, every game. And, and when I talked, I think, about with this, I think it was with, um, with Brian Foley, um, we talked about Everton and, and how they have these ebbs and flows. And it's 10, 15 minutes of good soccer, good football, 10, 15 minutes yeah. of bad football. You know, it's, it's up and down. And you kind of have to balance the ebbs and flows. Um, and yeah. for the most part, I think that's what we kind of got here for the most part in the first half, at least. The first 10 minutes were typical Everton. Crosses into the box. Damari Gray punishing defenders. Um, yeah. You know, Andrews Townsend putting, putting in good crosses. Um, you know, I, I think the first 10 minutes is what we're typically used to seeing from Everton on the attack. But then, right. um, as the ebbs and flows come, and naturally it only took 13 minutes for this to happen, but Josh King scores on um, – a set piece that was a little bit weird. Uh, the, the cross comes in and uh, it's yeah. headed forward and through by a Watford defender just over the head, I think, of Godfrey and, or, or somebody yep. couldn't get to the ball. It, it deflects off of a Watford player's head onto the foot of Josh King. VAR rules it was onside uh, because Damari yep. Gray on the far left side of the field is uh, just barely holding him on with his left foot. Um, could Everton have done anything else on this goal or was this just an unfortunate goal with deflections that Josh King ended up in the right place at the right time? 
so, so, so two things, right? So first of all, that goal was, was no different than some of the other goals we've conceded this season, right? And if anything, it was actually a portent of what was going to come in the second half because uh, what was second goal was almost identical, right? Set piece, ball into the box, um, and Everton defender, Godfrey, in fact, both cases, unfortunately, um, late to the ball, late getting at his man. So, you know, I think there's, there's sort of two discussions to be had here, right? One is the Everton players, for some reason, when they're defending in their own box, they seem to be very lethargic, right? They are not, they're not the first to get to any, you know, a ball, a rebound, a deflection. Uh, I, I think that this is not unique to this season, right? So many times we've seen Pickford make a, a brilliant save and then someone else, uh, an attacking player, is on hand to tuck the ball home because the defense is still looking around themselves. Um, where I think a lot of the conversation this week has been, has been defending in, um, you know, the, the zonal marking system that Rafa Benitez has, right, with, with defending. Now, again, last season, set pieces was not only an attacking strength for Everton, we were actually very good at it in the defending perspective as well. And that's because uh, Carlo's son, Davide Ancelotti, was basically the set piece coach for the team. So he was always drawing up neat little trick plays. Uh, he, I, I, think they, I think Everton looked like they were drilled really well on what to do on set pieces, whether they were defending or attacking. Um, this season, though, I, I think now Rafa also plays a zonal marking system in which, again, for all the you know, whatever criticism that zonal marking gets in defending, um, it works. When done well, it works. And, and this is the problem is Everton are not doing it well. They're, they're not defending. I think in his presser, Rafa brought that up this week too uh, on, on Friday. He was, Rafa was like, the problem is our players are not showing courage. They're not showing strength. They're not showing desire when defending set pieces. And I think that's the problem. The problem right now is this team, they're not playing motivated football. And, and I don't understand why. Um, before last week's loss, we were in pretty decent shape, right, on the table. Uh, you know, we, we were still in contention for European spots. And especially when you're playing against teams that are going to finish lower than you in the league table at home, those are wins. There's, there's no reason that the team should be low on confidence right now. So this, this general lethargy, lack of desire intent in this team and it's something we've seen over the years it, it is very puzzling because um, I think early on the first three or four games of the season right the first game of the season when we came from behind at halftime to beat Southampton and that was like the first time I think we've come from behind in five years or something insane like that and, and, and we commented wow this team seems to have some willpower they seem to have some desire Rafa has done some magic and seems like that magic has just worn off. So what is going on? Are they tuning out the manager already, like seven games into the season? That's inexcusable for a professional. Yeah, I mean, I think that, I mean, and we'll get into this a little bit. I, I think that two players that, um, you know, have been more of that, I guess, shown more of that willpower and that desire to go forward and continue and, and you know, kind of had that resilience were, you know, Gordon and Gray, who were subbed off before the goals yeah. um, came through. So we'll talk about that in a yeah. little bit. But let's finish off the first half. I mean, for the most part, 
the Josh King goal, yes, was another and, – and, and there's another goal like this in the um, – in the 86th minute where Everton, the, the fourth goal, I believe it was, where Everton kind of just dilly-dally in the box with the ball, three guys yep. are standing over it. And again, we'll get into <laughs> that in a little bit. each other's way. Yeah, yep. and, and we'll get into that in a little bit. But Everton, for the most part, they had their chances. Watford didn't really have too many great chances the rest of the first half. Even after the goal, what were your thoughts in the first half? And, and I mean, I think for the most part, I mean, I, I felt, I don't know about you, but I think I felt, okay, like it wasn't great, but wasn't poor. We can have Richarlison brought on and, and, and things can be fixed up here. Again, Everton has been a much better team in the second half of games this season, right? So that's why I definitely was not worried. I, I thought, um, again, despite Rondon being pretty much anonymous for most of that first half, I figured... Um, you know, Rafa would pretty much do the like-for-like like thing, take Rondon off, put Richarlison on, and the goals would come. Um, so, again, it was a bit of a puzzling decision to take off Gordon, um, especially because he'd shown so much energy and shown so much initiative. Um, I know Rafa keeps talking about that Gordon is not physically built to play full games, and I'm not sure what, what Rafa's going on about there, honestly, right? Sure, Gordon's not necessarily the heftiest player, right? But, yeah. I mean, he's not, he's not dying, right? He's not completely out of gas in the 60th minute, right? Unlike some other Everton players. So that was a really puzzling decision. Yeah, and I, again, I think the first half was solid. You said it perfect. You know, I, I think Everton's second half is typically very good. And, and we'll, you know, it's a nice transition into the, into the, the next point is Richarlison's goal. And, um, Richarlison comes on for Gordon, which I think, again, I think every single Everton fan thought Richarlison for Rondon. I mean, and, and even on the goal, we'll talk about Richarlison's goal. The perfect explanation, I think, of what Richarlison does or Dominic Calvert-Lewin does or anybody in that striker position that we could put there would do, as opposed to Rondon, they move towards the ball. Rondon's late moves have been move toward the ball or, or cro- move towards crosses have been super late. Like he hasn't moved until yep. the ball is kicked. So right. it's hard for him. Like he's not anticipating anything where some of these other players no. are anticipating it. We see it on the Richardson goal where he anticipates the ball in the box, heads it into yep. the goal. Um, and I, I think that's my biggest problem is, is we talk about lethargic. I mean, Rondon looks the most lethargic out of anybody, not anyone out there. Cause he doesn't really move. He just kind of stands there, doesn't make any runs. He kind of just hopes the ball is going to come to him, and then he hopes that he can head it in. And um, yeah. like, We see the difference of striker when Richarlison comes on. Comes on in the 60th minute for Gordon, scores immediately after coming on. Um, thoughts on this goal and I guess how things were looking at this point uh, for you after we go up 2-1 in the 62nd minute, and you know things are looking pretty good. You know, like I said, it's for a halftime, right? It looked like everything was going to plan, right? We got the goal. I, I figured we'd probably get another one. And, you know, we'd have a Southampton-like game at home, with, you know, comfortable one goal or two goal win. And, you know, it's time to close up shop, right? So even when, when, when Rafa took off Gray, I wasn't necessarily too concerned because I was like, okay, yep, that's fine. Um, you know, Gray... Again, another excellent game. He, he only, he's only really had good games for us, right? It's amazing. Yeah. 
So it was like, yeah, Gray's had a good game. Yeah, go get some rest. That's okay. And then off he comes. And, and then the whole team just falls apart. And, and that's the strangest part is Gordon and Gray were not necessarily the midfield glue on this, in this team. But their movement, I think, was what Everton missed the most, right? Mm-hmm. Because yeah. suddenly the midfield did not have an out ball. And, you know, speaking of the midfield, and I, and I really want to go into this one as well, because Davies, you know, for all good that he did in the first half, in the <laughs> second half, he, he was just completely out of it. I think he was, he was off the pace. Uh, he, was, he was late. Um, the the miscommunications was was just not not just him it was all over the pitch but you know the I think the downside of Davies having a bad game is that he drags Alan down too mm-hmm. whereas when Dokure is on Dokure covers so much ground he does so much that Alan can actually get away with again Alan is slower he's older right so we know this. Yeah. So when Alan has to go tracking back or you know running around more, uh, he he tires quickly, and that's exactly what happened. Is with Davies being exposed more, Alan also you know by virtue of that got exposed more, and suddenly there was just no shield in front of the defense. And honestly, I don't think a single member of that backline came could hold their head high after that game. Keen like horribly passive, right? Again. Yeah. Such an experienced player, just do not get how he is so passive. Ben Godfrey, we've talked about this, we've talked about this. Um, from, for all the good we saw from him last season, this season he's just off the pace. I, I want to say that the, the whole COVID-related physical issues he's had are to blame for this. But at some point, you know, Rafa's got to take him out of the firing line because he, he just cannot do this anymore. Like, yeah. could Holgate really have been a worse choice for this game? I don't know. I, I, I don't think so. I, I think he probably would have had a better game. Yeah. Uh, and then as far as Dini and Coleman go, wow. I mean, how, how the Everton leadership thought we would get away with those two guys playing 38 games this season, that just seems like a horrendous decision. Because Dini, I, I, I'm, I'm, you know, again, big fan of Lucas Dini. I, I think he started off the season well. I think he's had some undue criticism, but his defending has really fallen off the cliff here. Well, and I think, you know, I think a huge problem of this is the fact, again, that, that we don't have any backup fullbacks at this current moment that we feel yeah. confident in. And let's be honest, yes, Dignes looked bad, but, I mean, I feel like he's picked up about four injuries over the course of the season already. <laughs> And yeah. I wouldn't be surprised if that's holding him back, you know, and going forward. And we knew his defending wasn't the best, but he, again, he looks a little bit slower and off the pace than he does typically. That's why he's getting all yeah. these yellow cards, dragging down these players, getting beat so quickly. Correct. Um, we're not used yep. to that. And I wouldn't be surprised if some of these injuries are lingering in him, but because we don't have a backup left back, we right. can't do anything about it. And, and can't you know, do anything about it. he's got to play. Yeah, exactly. And I think yep. that's the, you know, a big issue. And, uh, you know, there, there's just, there's so many issues in, in the squad. And we, it's, it's, you know, we beat, you know, we beat the dead horse with this. And, um, you know, it, it's the same thing over and over again. But it, it, it's, you know, ever apparent in games like this. Um, you know, again, Godfrey, right? I'm not sure that Holgate could have done a much worse job. But, um, right. again, you know, we talk about the substitutions. You mentioned Gray coming off, but will be coming on. 
That happened in the 77th minute. And almost immediately after that change, yep. Watford scored their second goal. They scored off another set piece, uh, a goal by Kruka, I think it is. Um, yeah, Kruka, yep. Or Kruka. Um, he scores a goal off a header off the set piece to tie the game at two. But at that point, you're like, okay, like it's a tie game. Well, I think, still think we can get one back or Charleston's on the, field, on the pitch, you know. It's yep. you got confidence in the 80th minute. Josh King is left all alone in the center on a fast break counterattack type goal. Left all Ooh, alone in the center, doesn't need to do much. Scores a third goal, uh, or scores yep. the third goal. Then in the 86th minute, Everton dilly dally over the ball. Three players standing there, no one can make a decision on who to clear it. Lose the ball. So the ball yep. is turned over in the box, and again, Josh King gets another open shot. That's his hat trick. Again, naturally against Everton in his first appearance since leaving Everton. <laughs> and then in the 94th first minute, Dennis scores on another counterattacking sort of play uh, that is poorly covered. Um, I mean, the Everton defense just kind of fell apart. One thing I will say is I think we switched to two at the top when we brought on Richarlison. Yeah. yeah. And that did take Damari Gray out of the middle. And a lot of this progression happened because, again, you mentioned with Davies and Allen, I think they're both the sort of player that likes to press and go forward and, and, and provide that attacking punch. But I, I think with Davies being so undisciplined in the middle, it brought Allen different places. And all of a sudden, there's yep. all this space in the middle of the pitch because Gray's not, no longer there. And then once Gray comes off, you bring on a Wobie who's, you know, manning that left flank. And he, there's no one in the middle. So we go down a man in the midfield, um, and, and all of a sudden, things fall apart. Um, I mean, again, though, <laughs> you're, you shouldn't be – whether we take a man out of the midfield or not, you shouldn't be giving up four goals in 13 minutes. What happened At home. Here? At home. Yeah. What happened to the defense here? Why was it such a, you know, shocking um, just kind of debacle over the last 13 minutes? It's inexplicable. I honestly, I, I, I've got nothing. I, I, I don't know. I, <clears throat> I don't want to go in and say this is, um, it, it's some sort of sign that this is the end of this team and that Rafa needs to completely make wholesale changes. Not that we have players to make changes with. Um, I, I, I don't know. It, it, it's, it just doesn't make sense how you, you replace one person in the team, Doug Correa, and the entire team falls apart. It's not like Gokure is the most vocal leader or anything, right? So it, it, it's, like I said, it's inexplicable. I, I, it, I, I got nothing, man. I mean, I will say the one thing about Decore and his abilities is, I mean, we don't have currently another fully fit, I don't know what JPG is, but we don't have another fully fit right. midfielder that, I mean, he is your prototypical box-to-box midfielder. He is, yeah. and he runs and tracks down players, I think, better than almost everybody in our team minus um, yeah. Allen. And, yeah, or Allen. Yeah, and I, I think that, you know, Davies is great for that high press, let him go and run and fly forward, but I don't think he tracks back as well as Decore does. And I think Ducore yeah. kind of ends up being that solid player who's always in the middle of the pitch to clean things up. And we didn't yeah. have that. 
And no, we you didn't. know, yeah. and, and I think that's what, again, I mean, when you watch these goals back, cause I just watched them back before we got on the podcast. Um, a lot of it is breakdowns in the middle of the pitch and breakdowns yeah. where you have two, three Watford players running wild in the middle of the pitch where there's nobody yeah. tracking back with them, nobody covering them. And all of a sudden it's a three on two or a three on one that's easy or Josh King's left alone in the middle of the pitch or, you know, there was, and, and there was a lot of these goals that happened, or there was a lot of these plays that happened that didn't result in goals. I remember watching back to the first half, there was a goal where Josh King was wide open on the left, but instead Sissoko skied the shot high and it it went out of play. So, um, I mean, it's, but again, as you said, there shouldn't be, one player that affects a team that much. There should be something, there should be a tactical change. There should be, should be something there that, if that, um, that doesn't happen. And, and maybe it was, you know, instead of bringing on, um, you know, Richarlo, I mean, I, again, we'll, let's talk about this now because that's the next question. Let's talk about Rafa and his decisions. My personal yeah. opinion, maybe instead of bringing on a, um, if you wanted to take off Gordon and Gray, that's fine. But leave Richarlison out wide. And instead of taking off Gray for Wobie, put Andre Gomez in the middle so you still have those numbers in the midfield. And it doesn't put as much right. pressure on Davies being in the right position. I just think that the substitutions really changed the game and caused – and then, again, once Everton go down 3-2, they had no attacking presence going forward. What were your thoughts on Rafa's – not only substitutions, but his kind of performance, I guess you can say, in this match. Overall, yeah. <clears throat> I think Rafa is, is a very good reader of the game. Um, I, I, I like the sort of halftime tactical adjustments he's been making so far. I, I think they've worked. Um, I think this game has probably taught him a lot. Uh, I, and I, I, don't, I, I, think he, I think he accepted Pretty much at the at the end of the at the end of the game when when he spoke to the TVs um, after after the game and he said that uh, basically we don't know how to manage a game and and, and 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 he was absolutely right and that responsibility falls on his shoulders as manager and on the players' shoulders as well because they just fell apart right so I, I think Rafa if he's learned anything he's learned that what he really should have done in that game was like you said, you know, put on Andre, put on Gabamin or someone and add bodies to the midfield because pretty much everything they, they, Watford did came through the middle, right? It wasn't like they were playing long balls or something, right? Um, <clears throat> you know, bringing Iwobi on wasn't the worst idea because Sar had been tearing Dini apart on the left pretty much all game long, right? So, Iwobi uh, is a little more, you know, responsible defensively. So I think that was still the right move. But you know, again, having having a completely immobile pillar up front, um, like uh, like Rondon, just doesn't help the team, right? It's like we're playing with a man down, right? And it's it, it's unfortunate, but that's the truth, right? So Rafa seems to have a love affair with Rondon from his past two stops, but. Surely, if, if anything, Rafa's learned anything from these last couple of games, is Davies is good, probably 45, 60 minutes tops, right? But 
you know, either at that point we need to put more bodies in to help uh, Alan and Davies to control the midfield or take Davies right off and have Gabamin run around, right? And that's A. And then B, surely at this point he's learned that Rondon is not the guy, right? Yeah, he just, yeah, yeah. he can't do it, right? So just like we were talking about that, what, would Holgate really have been worse than Godfrey in the back? Again, we've not watched enough of Lewis Dobbin to know whether he can play in that centre-forward role. He's, again, he doesn't normally play that role, but Dobbin does play kind of from the left, right? So then, yeah, put Dobbin out wide and put Richarlison up front. Richarlison keeps talking about wanting to play up front and through the middle, and yeah. that's where he wants to play for Brazil as well. So, again, I, I still believe that Rafa is, it, it learns quickly. And the, the, just the way the team sort of avalanche collapsed at the end of the game didn't give him enough time to, to make an analysis and make a change, right? But yeah. he's had pretty much eight days since then to, to think about things. And I, I don't expect us to make the same mistake. I don't expect him to make the same mistakes yeah. tactically, subs, analysis-wise. Do I expect the players to keep making the same stupid mistakes? Absolutely, because that's everything. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, it's hard to think of a, uh, it, it's hard to believe that the things are going to change overnight from the player's perspective. But again, it, I think this is the big problem with um, judging managers and whatnot. And granted, yes, this was a big Rafa issue, right? This was, I think yeah. Rafa screwed up. I think that he got it wrong in this game and, and in this match and with absolutely. his in-game substitutions and whatnot, I think he got it wrong. Um, and I think that he is largely to blame for what happened, but um, and again, uh, you mentioned Rondon. I don't think if Richie or DCL and or DCL are remotely fit, that they should be sitting on the bench. I, I think there's no reason no. that, that, you know, Richarlison yeah. should not be starting against Wolves. I don't care if he's not 100% fit. He is better yeah. for 65, 75 minutes than Rondon will be for those 65, 75 minutes. So, right, right. Uh, and, and one of the things we lose a lot with Rondon it, which is one of the things he's supposed to be so good at is the holdup play. I feel like he's so weak on the ball, even when he does yeah. get those opportunities, he gets pushed over or pushed aside and, and loses the ball so quickly. And it's like, well, isn't this the one thing you're supposed to be able to do? So that all bothers me. But I think again, the big problem is if Everton come out and don't have everything solved against Wolves, and, and do have maybe a mistake here, mistake there, or whatever, and they end up tying Wolves, say, 2-2 or whatever. Yeah. I mean, we don't know what Rafa's been telling them in training, right? You know, we don't know what he, what's been going on in training. So Rafa could easily – like, I feel like a lot of the blame goes on the manager because he's there and he's the guy who's supposed to be leading them. But Rafa can only do right. so much from the sidelines once the match starts. So, you yep. know, I, I think – you know, yes, you can change things and change things, but if the players on the, the pitch continue to make the same stupid mistakes, it, it, it's not on Rafa. And I'm not sure that – I'm not sure we're going to see those changes right away or, or we may see – you know, I think it's going to take some time, unfortunately. But again, you, yeah. with the, the, the volatility of the situation of bringing Rafa in, in the first place um, and, and yeah. all that, you know, obviously that's naturally going to bring about some anger to begin with. But sure. I, don't, I don't think 
other than this match, I don't think Rafa's done a terrible job over the course of the season. I thought I think he's done a pretty good job no. with what he's had and the injuries he's dealt with, um, and the, the transfer yeah. Yeah. and the transfer bank that he had. Um, yeah. So you know, I'm going to blame Rafa for this match, and I don't think that anyone would disagree with that. But I think that um, I, I think that we have to be a little more patient when it comes to fixing these issues because there's clearly a deep like like a deep thing that's, that's been in this Everton squad for a while that it becomes, it's not the manager as much as it is the players that have been brought in and maybe some, yep. of the, you know, the people that are in the, the front office and the, the higher ups and on the board and whatnot. So, you know, I think, you know, it's a culture thing and, and that's hard to change overnight. Um, I mean, I would ask if, how to fix these issues. But again, we just talked about that and, you know, how it's not just injuries, it's, it's tactics. And, you know, maybe there's something that Rafa can yeah. figure out. Um, finally, before we wrap this up, was there any positives to take from this match? <laughs> Obviously it's hard to think of them, but, but would you have any positives yeah. to take away from this? Yeah. Yeah. I think there's still a couple of positives, right? Um, so Gordon, Anthony Gordon, let's talk about him, right? Um, he didn't necessarily have the most explosive debut last season, right? But it looked like Carlos saw something in him, kept him around. Um, obviously, he sent him out on loan, and that, that, I guess that was fine. But the, the, the thing about Gordon, I, I think the, the, that first half he played was probably his best 45 minutes for Everton, maybe even more than 45, I think, until he came off. He was definitely one of Everton's, if not the best player on the pitch. Um, he was good. He was very good. I think he showed vision. I think he has lots of pace to burn. Um, I, I think he's getting more settled. Um, so, yeah, he hasn't necessarily landed in the senior squad and set it alight. But he's, he, it, it's working for him. It's all coming together for him. I expect to see more and more of those performances from him. So, um, I think it's, it's on Rafa right now to put him in a position to succeed. Um, and I, I, I would really expect uh, him to start this weekend uh, or on Monday. Uh, he deserves it. I, I think his, those first 60 minutes that he played absolutely ha- has won him a starting berth. Um, I think the other positive there, Gray, right? Demare Gray. Like, just, just, it's so good. He's so good, right? With the ball, without the ball, just his vision, his creativity. Um, again, for a player his size, you wouldn't think he's good at shielding the ball or something. But I'm thinking about a chance that, you know, where I think he ended up on the right side of the pitch, uh, like, you know, deep in the Watford territory. And I just remember him shielding the ball against two big defenders. And you're right, right? Why can't Rondon do that? He's built for that, right? And here's Gray doing well, you know, shielding the ball. And I think he eventually fed it back to Townsend, who whipped in across. Rondon got his head to it. Shouldn't have bothered because it barely even bothered the goalie, right? So, uh, yeah, Gray, like, he's playing so well. Uh, you know, a concern with Gray was, I, I think, when he first made the breakthrough for Leicester, was that he had an excellent first month and then tailed off. Same thing at Leverkusen. I think he started off really well and then tailed off. Um, there was a concern that that would happen here. But so far, Rafa's keeping him interested, is keeping him motivated. And that, that, that's only, that can only be good for Everton. So I'm, I'm very happy with Gray. So definitely, Gordon Gray, two shining spots out of that game. Um, you know, it's, I, I'm just going to finish up here. Uh, not necessarily a positive, but certainly not a negative. You wouldn't think Everton would concede five goals and say, yeah, the goalie had a good game. 
But Pickford actually had a good game, right? I mean, there could was been more. nothing he could do on any of those goals, right? Yeah. Uh, I, I will absolutely commend Watford for their finishing because they were patient, right? Mm-hmm. Look at Everton when they get the ball in the box. They're just trying to shoot right, right off the bat, right? And you get shots blocked. Whereas watch what Watford do, right? I think on the fourth and fifth goals, right? The player with the ball waits for the defender to commit himself, slide by, fall, get out of the way. <laughs> And then they placed it in the corners. Like, can we be doing more shooting drills? Because that is how you finish when you're in the box. Yeah. Um, and, and it's incredible because Watford, despite how open their chances were, I think their XG was only like 2.7 or 3 for the game. I, I don't recall off the top of my head. So when you get five goals of like XG 3, that's, that's embarrassing for a defense, first of all. Because like, how did you give up that many um, shooting chances, scoring chances from really good opportunities? But... It, it doesn't excuse our defense, right? Our defense was horrendous. Um, we, 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 we just we cannot see another game like this. Uh, the, the, the fume is going to be like through the roof if we play like this again against Wolves. Yeah, absolutely. And I agree. You know, obviously, Gordon, I thought, had a fantastic game before coming off. I felt great, of course. I mean, there's a really good or there's, there's an article on, I haven't read it yet, but I'm sure it's very good because it's Patty Boylan and it's The Athletic, but he did, a, um, he did a piece on Gray and his troubles and his struggles at Bayer Leverkusen. Um, you know, I think a big part of Leicester was he didn't get, I don't think he got, I feel like he didn't get too many chances. He was still pretty young at that point. Then got transferred yeah. to Leverkusen. Um, and, and I know Patty wrote an, an article on that and I'm sure it's, very good and does, 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 you know, explain some of the things that went wrong over there. But he has been fantastic for us through the first nine matches of the season and really couldn't have asked more for, for, from him. Um, and I think no. when we start on, um, we, we'll talk about uh, Wolves and how we plan to start. But again, I think that both of them deserve a start. Um, and then I think a player that goes largely unnoticed because, of, again, because of the um, or has gone largely unnoticed in certain situations because of the lack of movement by Rondon, I think is Andros Townsend. I think Andros Townsend puts in some amazing crosses. But because no yeah. one's anticipating, well, because the striker is not anticipating the ball, it doesn't right. end up in the back of the net. I feel like Andros Townsend should probably have had about three more assists over the past three weeks. Um, but yep. Rondon just wasn't in the position that he should have been in for them yeah. to be in the net. So I, I think, and I think again, in this match, again, it, it showed again how good he is at whipping in crosses and how talented he is at, at finding those spaces, those, you know, half spaces in the middle where players can run onto the ball. And again, I mean, I think if you look at this game just from an attacking perspective, you're probably happy with what Everton did. Again, it's the, it's the defensive perspective and the defense that has been the issue we're missing. Yeah. And a player we did not bring up that I think is even more of an issue when it comes to those final third problems is Yeri Mina. We didn't talk about mm-hmm. him too much, I don't think, or at least I didn't. Um, but, um, but he and Ducore in the middle of the pitch, missing both of them is a serious, serious it's issue. Critical. That's critical. That's, yeah. you know, that's um, caused, I think, a lot of the problems as well. But let's yeah. move on from this, put it in the past – we have a guest coming up um, after this break. We're going to take a quick break. But Calvin talked with um, Tony from the Everton Fans Forum. He's an international member of the Everton Fans Forum. He lives in the U.S. now and has been a key liaison for a lot of the North American 
um, kind of festivities and advances that Everton have made uh, in the North American community and, and in the globalization of America or globalization of, of the club. Um, so Calvin had a talk with him and, and we'll play that next. And then after that, we'll get into some uh, Wolves talk. Okay. All right. So we have Tony Sampson with us today. Uh, and uh, Tony, Tony's going to talk to us a little bit about his work with the Everton Fans Forum. So thanks for joining us today, Tony. Hey, Calvin. Thanks for inviting me on. Nice to, uh, nice to speak to you. All right. Yeah, very good. Very good. Yeah. So, uh, and for folks who have not mentioned this before, uh, Tony's a friend of the blog. We've, we've talked to him quite a bit in the past, uh, you know, especially when he was telling us about uh, his work with the Fans Forum. So, yeah, go ahead, Tony. Why don't you introduce yourself and uh, tell us a little bit about your background and your history, and then we'll talk about some work stuff. Yeah, it sounds good. Um, well, yeah, I'm, I'm, um, I'm a scouser, as you can probably tell from my accent. Uh, so I was born and grew up in, in Liverpool and became a blue because of my dad, uh, like, like many other Evertonians. So it was, it was him and some of his family that got me hooked into blues from, from a very early age, started taking me regularly, probably when I was about five or six years old. Uh, so it was uh, sort of just towards the end of the Gordon Lee era, uh, and the beginning of Howard Kendall's first time at the club, so uh, you know I saw some of the sticky times as well. Uh, but yeah, that yeah, was yeah. That, that was it. As as I'm sure many blues that you've had on here um, can share. You know, once once you you experience that moment, and you know I used to listen to my dad when I was a kid talking about sort of what what it was like for him watching Everton when he was a kid, and I, I just remember him talking to me about him traveling down to Wembley for the '66 Cup final and coming from behind to win that and. Um, get some silverware there, uh, and he lived quite close to the ground when he was younger as well. And he um, he had a, a cobbler's shop uh, at one point where he used to tell oh, me wow. that the great Brian Labone would come in, and Brian Labone's mother would come in and and, and repair his shoes. <laughs> uh, so he, no always, he, always, he always used to joke that he had a little bit of a say in there uh, in, in in Brian Labone's footwear. So that was good. But yeah, but that was Absolutely. it. He didn't start taking me regularly when I was five to six, and then sort of had season tickets as I grew a little bit older. I've sat, I think, in every part of the ground apart from the main stand. Uh, and then I, I moved away from Liverpool, um, moved to Yorkshire and then lived in, in London and near London for, for a long time, but still kept my season tickets. Um, so I used to travel, um, it was like a four and a half, five round trip every Saturday when I was still in yeah. the UK um, with my, my two sons. Once the family came along and we used to go there with my dad. So that was, that was the, that was a feature of, of, of for us. And then, Three years ago, we moved as a family to Chicago. Um, and I've said this many times before on various pods and things, but, you know, one of the first things that we did as a family and for the two boys was to try and find out, you know, where we could keep feeding the Everton habit and get our fix of yeah. Everton every weekend. And <laughs> fortunately, we, um, you know, we came across a great group out here in Chicago that made us feel very welcome. Um, and that's now become our matchday routine. We, we, we live up in the Burbs, but we travel, uh, we travel about, Sort of half an hour, forty minutes every 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 weekend to to watch the game and get together with other Chicago Toffees. So yeah, that's that's kind of my journey. Very nice, yeah, Tony. I, I guess a, a forty-five minute drive is is as much easier trip to make to go watch the game without a blues than four hours, five hours on a train, right? 
It is. It's definitely. It's definitely much easier. It is. It is. Um, I mean, you know, the other thing we have to contain with now is the early mornings, obviously. But yeah, it's. Uh, it's oh, definitely yeah. worth it. Um, <laughs> and I, you know, when I was out here, I was just struck at the, the scale and the strength of the support for Everton. Um, I always knew that there was yeah. a, you know, a, a really strong network out here, and you know, the work that people like David Kurtz and Marshall Lamb had sort yeah. of done, built up over time. I, I kind of knew that, but it wasn't until I was out here that. I really got to sort yeah, of sample how, yeah. how how strong it was. So yeah, so it's, uh, it's it's a different experience, isn't it? Watching Everton from thousands of miles away, but it's still uh, it's still really enjoyable. <laughs> Excellent. Yeah. So let's segue into the the fans forum, right? So so tell us a little bit about how you got involved with the fans forum. Yeah, well, I think it leads on from what I was just saying. Really, it was when only when I was out here, and again, I sort of talking to people from different parts of uh, the US that you know followed Everton, and again saw the scale of the you know numbers of different supporters clubs that you know I really thought, wow, this is you know this is this is something special here, and it kind of you know I ended up sort of writing to the club and saying, you know, this is something that you need to tap into. There's so much opportunity here. Look, yeah. at, lots of people have been saying that over many many years, and I think there'd always been a feeling that. Maybe the club hadn't capitalised on, you know, some of the strong US links, particularly with Tim Howard and some of the other notable players as well. Um, but that was it, really. I, I sort of sent a couple of proposals into the club about, you know, maybe looking at um, a few things that they could do out here. And then just fortunately, just by time in the fans forum where, you know, we're, we're advertising for, for new people. And I thought, well, maybe that's an opportunity to maybe sort of formalise the links between, you know, right. being a supporter, not just in the US, but internationally and the club. And maybe mm-hmm. you know, I could maybe give or help give sort of some of those blues that watch from thousands of miles away, a bit of a voice and then take on their issues. So, um, you know, uh, I know we spoke at when I was sort of applying for that and you know, sort of set out my case. Unfortunately, people, you know, supported me in that and and got on. So, you know, what we've, what I've been trying to do now, we've got a specific international group, which I lead on the forum. There's three or four members there. And, you know, we, we've sort of set out, a, you know, a specific strategy and what we want to do to, to strengthen the connection between Evertonians abroad to sort of try and get some structure around that to make sure that the issues, you know, because the experience is, it's a very different one, isn't it, Calvin? You know, you know this right. yourself. It's it's a yeah. different, different, whole different experience. A sort of a match match day uh, going going blue. Um, so I think what we've right. been trying to do, and what I've been trying to do, is to help the club understand what's that, what is that like? Um, you know, what yeah. can they, what can they be doing and thinking about that matters to Evertonians, not just in North America, but in other parts of the world. Oh, uh, how right. can we build right. a brand? How can we sort of engage this fantastic supporter network and give them the tools and resources to grow and make sure we're, you know, finding the Evertonians of the future so we can keep keep building things. Yeah. And that's what kind of been um basically what we've been what we've been working on. And you know, it's been a massive uh, team as well. Yeah. Yeah. Very good. Yeah. So you mentioned strategy there, right? Yeah. So uh so yeah, tell us a little bit about what the strategy has been for for this year. I know we're kind of almost at the end of the year right now. Uh, so w- what are some of the things you have looked at doing? I think specifically for the North American audience or the North American Blues, right? What, what's been on what's been on the cards? How have you guys done so far? And what what else is coming up? Yeah, sure. Well, it's been it's been I think it's been a really exciting year for Evertonians um, in North across North America. I think we've seen some real progress. I think we've seen. 
the supporter network really strengthen. Um, so there's a lot of coordination now that's going on between, uh, you know, there's a group of, I think we actually updated it this week. I think there's now 44 um, sort of official and non-official uh, Everton supporters clubs across North America. We now meet on a monthly basis um, where yeah. we suggest ideas and have a little moan and, you know, also try and come up with some, some solutions and, and projects and things that we work on the club. But, you know, look, I think, uh, you know, the club has obviously been very um, clear that North America is, you know, part and central to its growth strategy internationally. It's been, you know, very clear about that. And, it, you know, the club has been working on yeah. a number of things. It's got its affiliate program. Uh, they launched the soccer schools across uh, many states mm -hmm. this year, which I think is the aim is to sort of expand that nationwide next year um we've obviously had um some really exciting stuff in terms of building a brand out here so the supporters club network you know approached Hummel usa um you might have seen that we you know sort yeah. of the first premier league clubs to do sort of a you know a supporter club merchandise branded deal with them so we again we've got 40 yeah oh, sorry 30 uh of the supporter clubs there so whether you're in new york or chicago or San Diego or SoCal, you can get official Hummel gear that's got, you know, your own sort of club badge on there, which was great and really nice. Yeah. Hummel, fantastic. Definitely. Yeah, you yeah. know, in, in wanting to sort of really develop that grassroots and, uh, you know, a proportion of that also goes to the ITC. So that was a nice, nice thing. Also, in, just in terms of the, the engagement as well, um, you know, I think you've seen both with the USA Live event, uh, which was like the first mm -hmm. sort of online effort which was just an afternoon of sort of pure um, content and interviews and qu yep. quizzes and um you know again there was a supporter club um sort of meeting within that as well and and, yeah. and and those sorts of great opportunity to again I think Tim was involved in that uh, and then obviously Orlando was the I think was probably the highlight um yeah. first time that we've seen the club out here uh, and and to be you know as close to the team as we could be there were, there were clearly restrictions in terms of what the club could mm -hmm. do but you know some of the local events that brought Blues together from all over the country run by the Orlando group um it was a fantastic yeah. evening with Tim Howard uh, where we did a little bit of a Q&A, but, you know, we also launched an all-star programme um, so that supporter clubs voted on, um, you know, who, yeah. who was going to go into the first um, American or Everton all-star programme. Tim Howard got that. We also yep. gave an award to David France, who you will know has been sort of instrumental yeah. in strengthening the links, you know, his Toffee Soccer book that he launched this year, but also the work that he's done yeah. to preserve the history he was he was awarded a special award as well for for sort of the contribution that he's made. So look, you know, I, I could go on and on and on, but I think that level of engagement has really has really improved. And you know, the the engagement team at the club have been um, so receptive and so supportive and really collaborative in you know in working with the yeah. support clubs. There, they're they're attending our meetings that we have, and it's sort of you know past midnight and 1am their time in the UK. So there's a, there's, you know, there's a commitment yeah. to do that. And then last week I was in LA as well. Um, so I went across and joined the SoCal group and uh, San Diego. And I think there was a couple from, from New York as well. And I uh, managed to spend some time with them at the NBC Fan Fest as well, where again, you know, we got to hook up with Roger Bennett and, uh, spend some time together and sort of, you know, represented represented Evan. So there's a lot, there's a lot sort of on the engagement side um, that you know good, is good, really yeah. good forward. But you know, uh, you know, I think there's other things now that we want to we want to keep focusing on. There's also been great progress in in relation to sort of the retail presence. 
Mm-hmm. Um, so that's yeah. been something that we've been working on. And I think the next the next phase for us now is is how do we sort of working with the club and also working with Jürgen Meinke, uh, you know, the club has, has employed to sort of help advance the strategy out here. What's the next stage yeah. sort of growing this and supporting this fan base? You know, we need to invest in sort of the platforms that are here and the people that are exactly. here, yeah. give them the resources mm-hmm. to sort of expand and grow. And sort of that's sort of part of what we're, we're working with the club on now yeah. is this phase. Yeah. So, so when you mentioned, right, engagement, right. So obviously having events, you know, that are supported by the club, organized by the club out here, obviously that, that, that's the way to do it. Okay, so right now, for an, for an Everton fan who lives abroad, right, your only sort of direct connection with the club is as an international member, correct? Um, are there, is, is there some talk about some other membership options or um, how, 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 is there anything the club can do or are they looking at something they can do to enhance that? Well, I think it's, um, I think first of all, it's trying to expand the number of official supporters clubs internationally so yeah uh you're seeing the rate of uh, supporters clubs increase all the time so um how it supports Good. those clubs yeah. helps them set up then gives them the resources is something that we're actively talking to them uh, about right mm-hmm. now and it's not just about sort of how do they build their own membership but you know how do they work with you know some of the partners that they've got so you know i mean calvin i don't know what your routine match day is but you know you've had got a young family now but you know, there's yeah. so many blues now that, that head to a bar to watch the game. So, you exactly, know, again, yeah. we're talking to the club about, you know, well, what's the benefit for the bar? What's what's why would a bar owner want to have a group of Evertonians in their bar right. every day, you know, maybe along with other clubs and what have you, what's in it for them? So again, we're starting mm-hmm. to think about, you know, what what are the things that may appeal to them. So again, we can, you know, find the right things that are going to pull people through the door, and then obviously, hopefully, you know, get them to either to stick with right, the blues right. or to, or, or even maybe on some occasions convert to the blues. So they're yeah. they're, they're 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 sort of kind of the things. Obviously, the club has got you know its own uh, international membership as well, and you know, there's there's certain mm-hmm. you know benefits and incentives there. But you know what yeah. we've been able to do, I think, through you know through the forum. Um, you know, by having having that access and also through the supporters network is, you know, we've been able to say, well, actually, do you know what? Some of the stuff you've got on offer there isn't very relevant um, for overseas. Sure. Yeah. For example, you know, a tour around Finch Farm isn't, you know, unless you're actually traveling there, isn't very good. Unless or, you're visiting, right. Exactly. Yeah. Or, you know, a, a discount to, you know, to the women's game, while it's fantastic, is not something that, you know, we're going to be able to benefit from when you're, you know, you're sat right. in Cincinnati or what have you. So, um, you know, that that again is a good example of where I think the forum and, and the network has worked well is that we've been able to take that back to the club and say, look, let's have another rethink about some of this stuff. And, you know, yeah. from our perspective, you know, here the things that we think will work and what we're, you know, what the Blues are saying will work and will be an attraction and mm-hmm. then sort of take it from there. And in fact, uh, on Wednesday next week, we've got, you know, we're actually presenting to the fan engagement team um, oh, nice. And Jürgen, you know, sort of some of the outputs of, of the thinking that, you know, some of these, are do- some of the uh, supporter groups have done. So, again, you know, that, that'll be that'll be one thing for us to, you know, to, to advance. Very nice. Yeah, very nice. Um, so, uh, you know, one of the things that's always uh, been, I, I think, a sticking point for Evertonians in general is that how difficult it is to get merchandise in stores <laughs> in the U.S., right? 
I think Everton Direct are doing a much better job now, especially in the last couple of years, of having things available for shipping internationally. It doesn't take 20 days to get over anymore, which is, which is really nice. But what, what is the club doing or what, what is, uh, how is the club looking at and trying to increase that in-store reach, right? Because I think that's always one of the things is I, I want to, you know, if I want to try on a kit, I want to try it on. I want to see what size works for me, right? Um, you know, I, I, again, I love that yellow away kit. I'm pretty sure it doesn't work with my face. So <laughs> I want to put it on before I go ahead and buy it, right? So just, just things like that, right? So what's the club doing about that? Yeah, well, look, I, I get it. You know, it, it, that used to really frustrate me as well is, is, you know, being out here and you'd go into a sports shop or a sports store and, you know, you'd see all the Premier League, you know, shirts and jerseys up there and you'd be like, where's Everton's? You know, why? Right. You know, okay, yeah. so Leicester stuff is just like, you know, I know they won the Premier League and stuff, but, you know, they're not, they're not, they don't have the stature or the connections. They're not one of the old clubs, right? Exactly. Exactly, yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So it, it, quite frankly, it used to piss me off. And, and I think, again, I think you covered this <laughs> in, in one of the blogs, but, um, you know, we did a survey not long after um, I got onto the forum with the international supporter base and and this uh, this issue you raised Calvin was like the number one priority it's like please sort out the retail presence um yeah. so I guess you know there's been a number of things really I, I think there has been some progress I think it's still quite limited at, at this stage but mm-hmm. you know I think things are definitely moving in the right direction which is you know which is to be is to be recognized really I mean first of all I think you've got a partner in Hummel that are also trying to advance its its sort of you know branding and what have you. So you've got a really willing partner there. And again, the supporters club hook up that we did, I think, is you know, is a is an example of that. But you're right, you know, what yeah. we've now seen is, and again, we took this to the club and they've listened sort of, you know, you know, to the feedback they've had. But you know, we, we've now uh, as you say, there's the better distribution US side through Everton Direct. It's quicker. Um, you know, yeah. not everything goes right. It never does, but you know that you know that that's improved. But yeah. I think what's also sort of there's been now an increased online um, presence as well. So you know, uh, even this season's kit now is available outlet here. But also the clubs, again, this was as a result of direct feedback, has now um, got in-store presence in Dick's Sporting Goods. I think I think it's across fourteen. 14- oh, wow at the moment and that's sort of just a little bit of a yeah. starting point so people are actually going to be able to physically go in in those selected states in some of the stores there and be able to exactly do what you just said and get the hands on stuff and do it and i know a couple of the guys have, have sent me photographs of stuff in, in store so look it's sort nice. of a you know to start and you know obviously we want to see it in every store and we want it to be sort of really really sort of prominent but you know i think that the foundations are being put there now which is great and I think also the club want to see and you know, some of their partners want to see mm-hmm. what's the market opportunity here. Um, you know, yeah. we know and we're all connected with our network every day. So we know what, you know, what the potential is. But, you know, mm-hmm. I know that they've been encouraged. I mean, this season, this season's um, uh, sort of retail, I think there's been over a th- more than a 30% increase um, wow. in US purchases compared with last year. And again, look, you know, obviously it starts from a base. So, you know, it's 30% of what it was. But I think what it does show is, is there's definitely a market out here. And, you know, and also it's proved why the club is not to, to make yeah. those things. And also, you know, with its partners like Fanatics and others that, you know, have received a bit, mm-hmm. a bit of stick in the past, you know, I would argue quite rightly. But, you know, now what we're doing is showing that there is a, there is a market here and they, they need to invest in that. So I hope that yeah. that, 
you know that that you know that continues and you know i think what the what the club did and what hummel did recently and you know investing in that sort of us specific shirt um you know last Mm -hmm. weekend was also another really good signal that you know this is something that they want to do to support the growth of the us market yeah i think that sold out something silly in like an hour and a half or something so yeah, um, it did. So look, yeah. you know, the, as I say, the the right steps are being made, um, and you know, I know this has been a long-standing issue for you know for for Blues out here, and um, to be able to see yeah. this, it's now sort of starting finally coming to fruition. So, you know, we need to get everybody out there and buying them and and wearing them in their localities and getting people to ask questions about you know, yeah, exactly, exactly who's the who's the team, who's this, what's this blue colour. So, yeah, hopefully we can we can keep building. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no, I really, really like the the whole. I, I think just the the from from the concept to the execution, the whole stars and stripes theme, the practice shirt thing. I think the idea was great, right? Uh, it, 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 I, I don't think I've seen any other Premier League club do that yet. Uh, they might have, I might have missed that, but if they haven't, definitely this is this shows that Everton are as a club not just. You know, it, this is they're not just saying, yeah, we want to improve our footprint in the, in North America, right? I think the club are invested in it. And like you said, right, I think the good sales numbers is showing the club that all that work they're putting in has been worth it. And and yeah, it, I, I hope I, I hope the club continues to try to keep growing this footprint. Um, yeah, it's uh, it, it's amazing. I, I would have loved to have got my hands on one of those t-shirts. So hopefully. There's another issue of that that comes out sooner well, or later. You never know. But, you never know. Uh, the demands, the the demands, certainly there. So you know, keep your eyes peeled. They, yeah. they might do another one. You never know. Good, good. All right, Tony. So, uh, yeah, anything else you want to share with us while while you're here? No, I, th- I think unless you've got any other other questions, Calvin, I think um, I think that's great. You know, as I would just say, I mean. You know the experience is very different. Um, many of Etonians know that out here. You know they've been doing it. Yeah. You know however long they've been supporting Everton, but um, you know the the connection and the awareness and and the understanding yeah. of the football club to to know that this is a serious fan base out here is you know is definitely sort of uh, yeah. well understood now. So you know with the community and everything, I think you know we've also got a. I think expectations have been raised as well. Yeah, uh, exactly. Which is never a bad thing, and you know. I, hope that you know with the continued work of the engagement team and the forum uh and the supporters yeah. network and you know people like Jürgen and others that we can now sort of raise the ante and um you know look at other strategic opportunities to keep to keep sort right. of building Everton out here and you know there's 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 thousands of us that are of the foot soldiers that are ready to help so um you yeah. know again they've got very very willing partners and it would be um you know, I, I hope to see the team out here again. They're they're always the best opportunities, and you know, there's rumors yeah. and whispers that you know that's still sort of on the cards for you know for next year. So again, I hope that you know, I hope we continue to to see that. And more 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 than anything, I I hope we start to turn things around on the pitch after the last couple of games because that always helps. <laughs> <doesn't it? laughs> always helps. Hey Tony, so before we let you go, right? Uh, I I do have a piece of feedback that I've heard from a few of our um, American-based readers, right? Yep. And the, the, basically, uh, uh, folks come to the blog, right? And they ask, "Hey, I've got a, I've got a ticket booked, or I, I've, I've got, I'm, I'm planning to go visit Goodison um, next March, right? Um, who do I contact as far as uh, you know, getting tickets to games, getting, uh, uh, how do I get uh, access to Finch Farm? Can I get a, you know, the, how do I get the, the Legends tour?" 
what, what, what hotel should I book? What should I see while I'm in the city? Uh, and and I, I, you know, I've heard so many different variants of that question right now. And I, I think th this is something I think the club would do good to do have is whether it's a portal within the club site yeah. where it's uh, recommended, this is who you contact to get tickets. This is a good place to stay. Or these are recommended hotels that are within a you know, reasonable walking distance to mm -hmm. the, the, the stadium. So um, is, is there any talk or has there been any thought around that? Uh, there is actually, and, and I think that some of the information that you've referenced there in terms of tickets and travel and mm -hmm. you know all that sort of stuff and how you can access the tours. I, I mean, I think that most of that information is accessible on on the club website. It might not all be together, yeah. which is a good bit of feedback. Yeah. You know, how do we from as you know from an overseas blue perspective? You know, there are all the obvious questions that you ask in one go rather than sort of moving around. But I'd certainly encourage right. people to contact the fan engagement team um, at the club and. Okay. So the usual email address that you can find on the website or, or even the fan services team. Um, you know, that I know that they do, you know, they do sort of monitor when there are Evertonians coming in from different countries, you know, so they try and sort of make sure that people get the right advice as, as far as they can. But uh, more broadly, though, you raise an interesting point because it's something that we've been talking actually with the club about and to the, to, uh, through the forum is, you know, is there maybe, a, you know, a little information pack or you know, something that we right. can maybe pull together that, you know, just sort of help signpost um, things and also maybe mm -hmm. provide some, you know, contacts for, you know, local blues as well. So I know there's plenty of Evertonians that sort of almost act as like buddies for, you know, for, yeah. for yeah. to come in and, you know, they'll they'll help them sort of find the pubs and the bars and the, the hotels and right. other, other things to see in the city. So, you know, it's something that we've talked about. So maybe that, you know, maybe that's something that we might need to... Uh, to raise the ante on yeah. and, and maybe uh, get something get something together, but if if anybody's got any questions generally about that sort of stuff, as I say, the the fan services and fan yeah. engagement teams are you know we, we good first port of calls, Very but good. feel free to to get in touch with me as well, uh, not just about that, but anything to do with um, sure. you know, any issues or questions. So you can contact me at tony.samson at evertonfansforum.com um, and I. You know, my Twitter handles, the Chicago Evertonians, I'm, you know, contactable yeah. through there or through the forum's Twitter handle as well. So, you know, more than happy to, to connect with anybody that's got any questions or queries or ideas as well. Um, so, yeah, yeah, please, please, please feel free to share that on your, you know, through the blog and on your site as well, Calvin. Yeah, we will. Absolutely. Yeah, that, that, that's great. Thank you so much, Tony. So, yeah, thanks for sharing that information. We'll make sure when we publish this pod, it's probably going to go out on Sunday just before uh, we play on Monday. Uh, and I'll make sure we mention, uh, obviously, your, your social handles and the email as well. But more than that, thank you so much for your time, Tony. We really appreciated having you on here. And, uh, yeah, looking forward to talking, talking to you again pretty soon. Yeah, it's a pleasure. Thanks for having me on and nice to, nice to catch up with you. All right, awesome. We thank Tony so much for coming on and speaking with, uh, speaking with us about you know, some of the things that he's been involved in and, of course, um, Everton and, and whatnot. But we're going to move on now to try and put the past behind us or at least the last game behind us and, and talk a little bit about Wolves, which is taking place on Monday. Um, again, we're recording on Saturday, so that's a couple days from now. I believe that Daylight Savings Time is happening this weekend for, um, for England. So this game is going to take place 4 p.m. Eastern time on um on monday uh here in america 8 p.m over in england 
Wolves are undefeated in their last four Premier League matches. I think they have the most wins um, over their last six other than Chelsea. They've grabbed 13 points in their last six um, after a rough start. Um, They currently sit 11th in the table on 13 points um, behind Everton, which is one point behind Everton on 14. Uh, Everton beat them both times they played last year, 2-1 at the Molinau, which is where this game is taking place, um, and 1-0 at Goodison at the end of the year. Wolves have only won one of their last six Premier League home fixtures against Everton, and Everton uh, an Everton win would secure the first uh, three-game win streak against Wolves since the mid-1960s. Um, Wolves had just won, have just won one of their 10 Premier League home matches on Mondays, but this um, would be, if Everton were to lose this game, it would be their first three-game skid since this time, almost exactly last year, uh, under Carlo. So let's talk about Wolves first. They've seemed to find a way under their new manager um, and, yeah. and have started to figure things out. What is dangerous about this Wolves team? Yeah, so the Wolves are interesting, right? I, I think uh, we are a little spoiled because Rafa seems to sort of hit the ground running as a new manager and Everton sort of took to him and we had a pretty good start to the season. Um, you know, Wolves, I think, took their time. I, I think they didn't score their first goal for like five games or they had one goal in five games or something like that, even though they had plenty of chances and they really looked like they were struggling. Um, I think there were already some whispers about Bruno Lage like sort of being way out of his depth. But um, I, I think the team have finally sort of gelled together. And I think they, again, Wolves have a lot of talent, right? They've got some world-class players on that side. So I think it was just a matter of time uh, before he, the manager, could sort of put them in a position to succeed. And I think right now he's he sort of found that formula. So I think the Wolves are in, in, in a pretty good spot right now. Um, they're a very dangerous opponent, right? Um, they pros the exact, uh, they have the exact characteristics that Everton struggles to defend, right? Um, they're, they're fast, they're quick, uh, they, they really do a lot on their wings. Um, and now they have a, a center forward uh, who's actually, uh, I would say, is a lot better than Josh King, which is terrifying for us right now uh, because Jimenez is really a world-class striker, right? So, um, if, if we don't have Yeri Mina for this game, we are in a lot of trouble because uh, Mina is exactly the kind of player you want to have on him and his and just, you know, lock him down. Um, but anyway, so going back to Wolves, uh, I, I think another, another sort of scary area is, uh, is Dini, right? Um, Dini struggled badly last week against Ismail Lassar on the left side, right? Mm-hmm. And now he's going to come up against Adama Traore, who probably watched that video of Everton against Watford and is licking his lips going, oh my God, it's Christmas already because I get to play this guy. And in fact, every time Traore has gone up against Dinier, he's had the better of him, really. So uh, I, I, I don't know what Everton are going to do in this game. Um, yeah. uh, Dinier is going to need a lot of protection in this game here. Um, and, and so, you know, what, what, what do we do? Do we, do we try to afford and cheat to the left? and for, give Dini some protection. But then again, if Mina is not playing, we need to be really solid up the middle too. So this is a challenging game for Everton. Yeah, and Mina, I think Rafa said yesterday, at least what I'm seeing the echo here, is that he has no chance of being fit for Wolves. So we will not have Mina. Yeah, so, like I mean, I guess we would hope a change there um, for Godfrey. But you're right. I mean, 
The one good thing about Adama Traore, which I'm sure he'll find uh, against us, hasn't been able to hit the target yet this season, really. He's, he's had his struggle. <laughs> do it again. <laughs> but don't worry, he'll yeah. score a hat trick. Um, but yeah, you're oh, right. I mean, course. I think the Wolves, again, we, we struggled really. We were really poor against that counterattack and the fast break sort of yep. attack that Watford brought. And that's going to be exactly what Wolves do, just on a better, you know, on, on a better scale. Um, yeah. Traore is, you know, quick, strong. Potence on the other side, if he's playing, is going to be extremely quick. Like you said, Raul Lemenez, yeah. he had that, uh, you know, horrid, you know, head injury. First few games yeah. looked like he was still recovering from it when his first few games back, but he seemed to find himself now and find his shooting yeah. boots. Um, Neves is always good for a long-range goal, which Everton love to give up because they don't know how to close down um, attackers. <laughs> so, really, it's a recipe for disaster for Everton. Um, they will play – they typically play three at the back. Um, yeah. So that's also going to push some of their outside backs a little bit more forward. So there's going to be a lot of attacking pressure on Everton's defense. It will yeah. open up, however, I think some holes for um, maybe some Everton attackers to get through. And, you know, again, I, I don't really have any worries about our attack in this match. I think that we'll be okay. Mm-hmm. But, um, again, it's the defensive things. I mean, we've talked about how yeah. you neutralize players like Jimenez and Neves and Traore and Podens, but the question is, can they do it? Um, and, and I trust Rafa to go out there and put together a tactical plan to figure this team out and figure out Wolves and neutralize them. It's a matter of whether the players execute that plan. Um, yeah. And, you know, I mean, again, as I said before, a week is a very short amount of time to figure out all the problems I think that happened on, on Saturday. So, yeah, I mean, again, there may be the, a lot of, some of those problems popping up again. And I think it would be naive to just blame Rafa for this after just one week of trying to beat this through these players head on what they need to do. I think that Rafa, again, I, I, I trust Rafa to put together a good tactical plan it's a matter of whether the players are, you know, strong enough and um, good enough to execute that um, on Monday. So yeah. we'll see how that plays out. As we talk about Everton, what would be the best lineup for Everton um, on Monday? Um, you know, with Richarlison, as they said, not 100% yeah. fully fit, but fit. What's your best Everton lineup? So, um, you know, I think we've thought about this, right? We, 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 talk, we talk about this as well, that I think playing against a team that's in a back three, you probably want to go a back three yourself. But Everton have been terrible playing with a back three, right? <laughs> Just I, at this point, I don't even think we have, well, I guess we have three fit center backs if you're counting um, Godfrey as fit. So uh, in, in lieu of going with three in the back, I, the way I'm seeing this game, I think we need to go with a four-five-one kind of formation, right? And yeah. add an extra body in the middle, right? And that that's probably got to be Gabamin at this point, or possibly Gomez, right? Because uh, it depends on whoever is the fitter one of the two to start that game. A um, couple of factors on that, right? Wolves are very good in the middle, right? Uh, you know, Neves is going to dictate the game, right, from the middle. So having someone on him is going to be mandatory. Um, so whether it's 
Alan sitting a little further behind, sort of shielding the defense um, and helping out with Jimenez and then Davies and Gomez in front of him in a triangle, or whether it's Davies and Gabamin or Gabamin and Gomez, any one of that combination in front of uh, in Alan is probably the way to go. Mm-hmm. And then Gray on the left, Thompson on the right, Richarlison up top. That's, I, I think that's the only formation to me that makes sense for Monday. Yeah, I mean, I could see him going with, you know, if, I mean, I would start Gabamon in place of Davies. Hope, I would guess, I mean, based on how poor Ben Godfrey's been, I would start Holgate over Godfrey. But again, I would go with a 4 5 1, but I, I would be interested. The only other way I can see him lining up in a 4 5 1 is if he plays Gabamon next to Allen and let's Gabam, you know, has Gabamon. Um, I guess play more of that Decore role, which I mean, you would think mm-hmm. he would be able to. He seems to have the same characteristics, and maybe be the most yeah. like-for-like replacement when fully healthy. Um, and then play the three across the top there of, um, or the three, you know, attacking more attacking midfielders as Gordon Gray and Townsend, and then yeah. um, Richarlison up top. Another thing I could see him doing though is starting a Wobi based on Dean's, you know, poor, um, you know, or has poor form, I guess you can say, and, and maybe yeah. trying to provide some cover for him with a Wobi on that left side. But um, I think four five one has to be the way you go. I don't think you can yeah. give up the midfield. Um, and, and I think that, you know, in a four five one, at least you'll have, you know, four more advanced players and then, you know, be able to send – the outside backs up and hopefully hold those wing backs back and, um, yeah. you know, figure something out there. But it's, again, with injuries, there's not many options that you can do. Um, no. And not many options that would be successful, I should say, uh, because obviously you can yeah. do whatever you yeah. want out there. But, um, but not many options that would be successful. Um, and unfortunately, yeah, I think, I think 4-5-1 is the best option. If Rondon starts again – that may be a situation where I um, would blame Rafa. <laughs> but in, uh, other than that, I think, I think that there's only a few lineups he can really choose from other than that. Um, can, can you imagine that like an hour before kickoff kick and, 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 you know, the lineups come out and Rondon is starting and Iwobi is starting and Richarlison and Gordon are on the bench. Everton fans I mean, are going to lose their minds. Oh my goodness! It's it's very possible that I don't even attempt to watch a second of the game. <laughs> on top. So, um, right? I mean, it's just I, I just I can't watch it anymore. It's like it, it's again, it's the wow. definition of insanity doing oh. the same thing over and over again and expecting a, a different result. I, I mean, just keep putting Rondon, keep putting like he's got to be fit at this point. He's played ninety minutes consistently I, for four weeks. Right. There's exactly. No that excuse I failed. Right. So, exactly. No, um, he, his fitness is not a thing anymore. But, you, you know, maybe the opposite happens, right? He starts run on again and, I don't know, maybe he gets a hat trick and – okay. <laughs> I mean, listen, if Rondon gets a hat trick, you know, then – I don't think I think we'll quit this podcast and then I want to I know between. right just like okay Rafa you know that <laughs> you you do you do you we, yeah <laughs> what um, do we know but yeah exactly exactly um all right predictions what do you got for this one 
Oh man, I, it, it's hard to be optimistic. I, I just, I, I, I want to believe that Everton have been, at least the players have been stung by what happened in the last 15 minutes last weekend. And, and so I, I really want to see a reaction from them. Mm-hmm. Um, if we were playing at home, I, I would say they would probably be a little more fired up. But I, you know, just with the way we've been starting slowly in first half of games, I see us going down and then never really recovering. I, I, I don't see a better result than Wolves winning 3-1, unfortunately. I just I hate to say this, but, you know, everyone on Wolves is going to have a breakout game, right? Trower is going to finally hit a shot on target. Jimenez is probably going to get two goals, you know, because yeah. aerially he'll get in between Keane and Godfrey or Keane and Holgate. And then the two will just keep looking at each other going, oh, that was, I thought that was your guy. So... Yeah, I just I, I I don't know what the solution is here for for this team. Um, like I said, I really want them to have been stung enough to to show that they can be better, but I don't think they are. So I yeah, three one uh, loss for Everton, unfortunately. Yeah, I I just I don't see a win here. I can't I can't really see a win here. Um, no. I see Everton losing. Um, Probably, I, I say 3-2. I think Everton will be good in attack. I think they'll find goals. I just don't know. I don't think that they'll be able to keep goals out of the net. And that's the biggest yeah. thing. So, that's fair. Yeah. Um, yeah, so that's that's that. That is that. Um, I think we – anything else you want to touch on before we wrap this up? No, I'm just going to say, I think you mentioned this a little earlier, right? Uh, I, I think Rafa, with his background, uh, was always a controversial choice for Everton manager. So, as is in the Premier League nowadays, managers have a pretty short leash, right? No one yeah. even wants to give managers half a season to bed themselves in. And Rafa's situation is probably even more tenuous than that. Um, I, I, I think... Uh, I think the Rafa out shouts were already going last weekend. So that's that's a little ridiculous, but I, I'm not surprised. And again, if Everton come out flat, right, it, it, it just reflects badly on the manager. So yeah. Rafa, he's got to pull out some Jedi mind tricks this week. Uh, but yeah, we need that from him. So yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I will, my final point on it, I guess, before we wrap this up is I just... In in a situation where Everton have been so poor for and so inconsistent for years and years and years, and I just think that at some point we need some form of stability. So we kind of have to ride yeah. these ebbs and flows, and maybe just for once, instead of expecting Everton to be near the top or expecting Everton, you know, accept a thirteenth place finish and accept that things will continue to change as long as you know, again. Rafa got two million pounds in the transfer window. He has no yeah, left back. Right. He has no right back. Um, he's trying to develop those positions by sending people out on loan, um, or trying. You know, he tried to get a right back in, couldn't get a right back yeah. in. I mean, I think at a point we need some patience, and we need to start stop acting. And and this probably is not what Everton fans want to hear, but I think we need to stop no. acting like we are a club that's close to a top five finish even and start yeah. accepting the fact no, that there, there are some serious things that need to change and we need yeah. some stability and we need a manager. And, and I, I think a lot of this falls on Marcel brands for 
not having a plan. Like it seems like he hasn't had a plan and each manager has come in and enacted his whole, his own plan. Like the director of football is brought in and he was brought in as many years ago as he was set the direction for the team. exactly, Exactly. Set a direction for the team and have a plan so that no matter if they have to sack managers, there's still that same steady plan. And the club has a same plan as to what they want to do and how they want to execute and how they want to play. And you know, that means you hire the right managers for those positions and you hire the right people and you bring in the right transfers. And I think a lot of that has been the problem. And I think for once we need some stability. We can't be sacking a manager in a year and a half again or an under year and a half again. It's got to be quicker. So um, that's what I'll say on that. That wraps it up for us. Uh, Calvin, thank you as always for joining me. Appreciate it. Yeah. Thanks, Gina. Um, and to you guys out there, thank you for listening. Uh, thank you for, for following along and, um, just keep subscribing, keep following, keep downloading the episodes, whatever you got to do, um, to get these episodes week in and week out. We appreciate the support and we'll talk to you guys next week.